Hello, and welcome to episode 55 of the Cognicast, a podcast by Cognitech Inc. about software and the people who create it. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Uh, so I want to mention a few things here at the beginning of the show, as usual. First of all, I want to remind you of the closure script and atomic training that we, Cognitech, will be running at the end of this month, and I'm referring to April 2014. On April 29th, we will have the closure script course, and on April 30th, we're running the Datomic course, both taught by Stuart Sierra, and that's located in uh, Durham, North Carolina. You can go to cognitech.com events to find out more about that. Also want to mention the Strange Loop 2014 uh, CFP is now open. Uh, that will end May 9th, so you still have a couple weeks to get in your proposal. I will certainly be going to Strange Loop this year, one of my favorite conferences. Would love to see you there, particularly if you're going to be up on stage, so would certainly encourage you to, um, to submit a proposal. Actually, I'll be happy to see you there whether you're presenting or not, but I would definitely encourage you to submit. Um, it's a great conference, and I uh, would love to see your talk. So also want to mention um, on the 24th at 10 a.m. Pacific Daylight Savings Time, um, Ryan Neufeld, uh, Cognitect, will be speaking on the O'Reilly webcast on building web applications in Clojure, something he has done a fair amount of. So uh, definitely be fun to listen to him. You should check that out. Uh, more details at O'Reilly.com. Um, well, finally, I'll mention that I will be speaking in Richmond, Virginia on April 29th at 6 p.m. at the RVA Data Hackers Group. I'm going to be talking about Datomic. So if you're in the Richmond area, uh, please come on by. We'll talk about Datomic. It'll be fun. I um, think that's it for now, so we will go on to episode 55 of the Cognicast. Welcome, everybody. Today is Friday, March 28th in 2014, and this is the Cognicast. I'd like to expend, extend a welcome to Kovas Bogota, who's here with us today as our guest. Welcome, welcome, Kovas. Thanks for having me, Craig. Well, we were, we're excited to have you, actually. Um, but before we go into uh, all the reasons why, uh, I want to ask you for a song to start the show. Uh, so let's start off with the final countdown by Europe. <laughs> right. So now, does that song have uh, personal meaning for you, or is there a reason that you picked it today? Uh, it just seemed like a festive kind of intro. Uh, I was kicking around some ideas with my studio mate for other kinds of uh, exciting ways to kick off the show, but uh, I think this will be the most appropriate. <laughs> I love it. No, I mean, uh, that whole, that kind of, that keyboard, you know, uh, riff, that's going to be, I think as soon as, as soon, a lot of people, at least, is the moment they hear that start, they're like, oh yeah, this song. Uh, <laughs> very cool. Okay, well, so let's let's jump into uh, the uh, other part of the conversation here, which is why we had you on today. And I was, I, you know, we've we've met a few times, and 
and I would certainly um, have uh, loved to have you on at any point, but the thing that kind of pushed me into saying, oh, you know what, now, we really have to have Kovas on the show now, is uh, you recently made an announcement of something called uh, Session. So maybe we should just jump right in there, and you can kind of explain what Session is and kind of um, where it's at right now and, and all that good stuff. Sure. So Session is um, a live coding platform, and you can think of it as a web REPL backed by a database. Uh, so a lot of the inspiration comes from the Mathematica notebook concept, where it's just so easy to fire up this document and just start computing. And the features of the notebook that I like a lot are the fact that it's visual. So you can have graphics, even interactive visualizations, or just pedestrian almost things like putting things in the table or a grid or just kind of layout constructs. And when you're doing computational work, these are all incredibly valuable things to have just sort of right there with no additional ceremony of trying to find what library you need for this or that and then having these things pop up in random windows all over the place. Um, and then the second thing that this concept does for you is it kind of encapsulates your work session in a document that you can save and come back to later or share with other people. So those are two very kind of valuable and productive advantages of the notebook. But there's some disadvantages of the notebook as well that I specifically seek to address with session. Um, but And we, we can kind of get into that a little bit later. But just sort of as, as a high level, session is something that you can go and you know, type in some closure code, get the output, see the output, and sort of build up this history of work in a way that is persisted over time and easily shareable with other people. Right, and you have a, a little video, I think, that does a good job of, um, of kind of demonstrating the idea. It, and it's, it's not the first time you've talked about it in public. I was, uh, you know, looking around and I, I pulled up your presentation from ClosureCon 2012, and, and that this is clearly the evolution of that work. Am I, am I right about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been working on it for uh, quite some time, actually. And I've been thinking about the idea even longer, uh, probably four or five years. And sort of getting it all to come together uh, has been a pretty long adventure. But I've talked about it twice before. Sort of the first time was two years ago in, uh, in New York City at the Closure Meetup. Uh, and then the second time was at the Closure Conj. So it's it's kind of interesting the evolution between these three public appearances of session. In the first version, it was basically a fairly direct port of the Mathematica notebook concept, where there was a, a literal document sort of on the back end. You know, you're basically saving a file. In the second version that, that I demoed at the um, closure conj, by that point, Datomic had been released. And Datomic was basically exactly what I needed to solve more of the problems that I was trying to solve. So when that happened, I just jumped on that and basically ported session to Datomic. But I still had this problem with the front end. One of the crucial ideas in this kind of work is that you can just take a piece of data or a value and basically render it into the browser kind of as is almost. You know, there's no kind of additional take a piece of data and then do something to it to, you know, attach it to a DOM element or something. You basically just want to be seeing the data except in a different representation. 
So the way I had gone about achieving that in my previous two versions of session was just really ad hoc and complicated and essentially something that would be impossible for a contributor to come and extend. Um, so even though I was kind of demoing it, I wasn't trying to announce it to the world as something like session has arrived, you know, go and use it and contribute to it because I knew that the solution, you know, the front end solution wasn't there yet. Uh, and this, this was actually quite frustrating since people were pretty excited about what I had demoed the previous times. I actually had some contributors trying to contribute to session, but everyone was basically getting stuck on just how complex and clearly, you know, not there the front end concepts were. So I was incredibly excited when Ohm started taking off uh, just, you know, back in December or so. And uh, I'm actually sharing a studio space with David Nolan here. So I've been seeing that thing progress this whole time and kind of asking questions and trying to make sure that Ohm can do what I need to have done to make session happen. Uh, so, you know, so Ohm happened and then I just immediately started on this version of session, which was basically a, a complete rewrite. And two months later, you know, pretty much is enough there to, to get an alpha release out. Uh, so uh, I thought coinciding with uh, David's keynote at Closure West would be a good time to kind of make an official announcement and say that you know the doors are open for business, so to speak. <laughs> so <clears throat> for people that haven't seen the uh, video that you put out, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes, could you kind of describe uh, maybe visually, you know, if, if I were to walk up to, to session and do the thing that you do with session, what would I, what would I see? What would I experience? What's that like? Right, right. So, you know, first of all, it is fairly similar to a REPL, right? You type something in, you hit shift enter in the case of session, that goes off to the JVM, comes back and is rendered underneath the input area. So there's this session calls these things loops, the input and output pairs where you type something in and you get something out. And, um, you know, there's a sequence of these things where, you know, you make one of them, you know, you click to create another one and so on and so forth. And uh, they, they have a, there's a few more things, I guess you would call them features, such as, you know, adding a note, you know, so oftentimes we want to annotate some computation as, you know, some textual data just to say what it is or some commentary about it. So one can add that to the loop. So that's kind of the typical workflow is, you know, you just kind of sit down and you start computing. Beyond that, there is a little bit of a higher level layer of session when you first just kind of load it up and go to the front page. Because this is all managed by Datomic, we basically have an index of all the stuff that we did, right? So it's not like the traditional REPL where you just basically close the window and everything just disappears. We store the stuff and then we have a higher level index of all the work that we did before, all the sessions that we've created. So when you first go into session, you could either create a new session, which basically puts you into an empty session, or you can go back to some previous session that you've already created. So for example, that's how uh, I ship the uh, examples in session. So you know, in, in a lot of systems, the idea of examples or documentation basically has to be a separate kind of thing. It's not, it's not sort of part of what the system itself does. Uh, but with something like Session, if you want to create a bunch of examples for other people to view, you know, you just go and compute those things and create a session and just 
you know, there it is. Someone else can just go back to it, see those examples and start editing them or playing with them sort of right there without any additional work to put it all together. Um, so that, that's really interesting. And I mean, I think, I, I think, you know, if anybody has seen your previous presentations or, or especially if they've watched the video, it's a really fascinating idea. I mean, that just kind of let's remember what I did. And it's, I'm reminded somewhat of, um, this technique that, um, I certainly didn't pioneer that, but I've been using, which is, you know, I'm an Emacs fan. I use org mode and org mode lets you mix together source code, um, and, and kind of exposition Mm-hmm. And you can evaluate the source code. And I, and I found that helpful when I want to explore an idea, but also be able to explain it to say, well, I'm going to try this. And then there's the code that does it. And then I evaluate it. And I wind up with the result of the evaluation there in the org mode buffer. And then I say, well, it looks like this had these properties. And obviously, you've taken that to a much more um, structured degree. Um, one of the things that uh, that occurs to me is that if you have that history and if you're using it to build examples, does it open up possibilities like being able to do things like go back in time and fork? Is that a part of the, the vision or the capabilities? Yeah, absolutely. So maybe, maybe this would be a good time for me to kind of uh, uh, step in and kind of talk about some of the motivation and where this all came from. Yeah, please. So, um, you know, I was working at Wolfram for about five years and you know, working on Mathematica, working on Wolfram Alpha, and basically just loving Mathematica. It's an incredibly powerful thing. And I would encourage anyone to get a home edition or sort of wait for the programming cloud to come out and, and check that out. But there, there were basically three experiences that I had that basically convinced me that session was something that um, needed to happen. The first experience was about, I guess, 2006 or 2005. And the project at the time, we were building out the precursor to the Wolfram Alpha database, basically. So Stephen had this idea that just as someone could ask for the value of a signed function in Mathematica, they should be, asked, they should be able to ask for you know, the, the, you know, the capital of Argentina or you know, the population of China or something. Right? Just, you know, just make data available through functions the same way we make mathematical knowledge available through functions in Mathematica. So I was involved in these big data curation projects. And you know, we would do these things in the notebook. And in many ways, it was incredibly effective to be able to curate the data that way. But it also became a kind of a huge mess because you'd have all these data files and you'd be in your notebook importing these data files, doing a bunch of computations through a series of fairly complex transformations, then outputting more data files and sort of doing it again. And, you know, you'd have multiple notebooks that would be, you know, representing different stages of the process and no kind of higher order thing tying them all together. It was effectively impossible to sort of keep track of, you know, which version of the function created, which version of the file, or, you know, which things in which order do I need to reevaluate to sort of reproduce the process and so forth. So that was experience number one. Experience number two was uh, a few years later, I was uh, trying my hand at a startup. And uh, you know, I had made a pretty, pretty good demo in Mathematica that basically got us into Y Combinator. And I was working with some other companies, you know, sort of trying to see what features we wanted. But then to sort of go from what I had in the notebook to an actual product was, it was just an unbelievable amount of work. 
because it was very difficult to reuse the content created in the notebook in another context. And just sort of more generally speaking, it was sort of hard to interface this concept with the outside world. And then the third experience was about, I don't know, I guess another year or two later, I made this visualization of basically um, the Twitter network in Egypt during the time of the Egyptian revolution. And this thing just went completely viral and just in all kinds of media outlets. And there was this swarm of people contacting me, basically asking me, how did I do this? And can I give them something so that they can do it themselves? And basically, the answer to that question was, you know, no. <laughs> like, it was basically impossible to have, there was no artifact I can just hand over to all these people, because this was a complex process of, you know, installing HBase, you know, setting, you know, math, you need Mathematica, you need these other programs, and the whole workflow was this very complex thing involving multiple software components. So the thing that I decided and concluded from all this was that we basically need to have something like the notebook concept, but with a radically better interop story with the rest of the world and a radically better system for managing state, especially, you know, not, not just sort of internal state, but state as reflected in these external systems, how it all gets tied together. Um, so those are sort of the motivating and like high level goal, goals of session. And uh, I think the question you were asking was basically, we're tracking, you know, what, what's sort of the story with state in session? Yeah. You know, how, uh, you know, given that we have the atomic there and we're tracking everything, you know, can we do things like go back in time or can we do things like branch or sort of what, what can we imagine doing? So right now the, where we're at is, you know, we're, we're on datomic, but there's not sort of a UI session level way to leverage all those capabilities yet. So, you know, if you want to revert back to some previous state, then right now, today, what you'd want to do is to just open up a, to, to just sort of do that manually by telling Datomic what to do. But what I absolutely want to do is to provide a higher level layer in terms of UI where it's more of a, you know, point and click kind of operation. But that's going to require, you know, some design work and implementation work and so forth. So it's something to, to look for in the future. Okay. Well, that would be super cool. And I mean, I don't want to take away. It's uh, my, my question, uh, hey, do you do X is not meant to take away from the work that you've already done. But I guess that's a good point to ask you to describe kind of where you are at. I mean, you use the word alpha already. Um, right. You know, maybe you could talk a little bit about what the current capabilities are, what people should expect. Right. And if you have any sense of how soon you'll arrive at any future points, that'd be great to hear that too. Right. So I think, I think we're actually in a pretty good place with regards to the fundamentals. And that's basically why I thought now is a good time to announce session is I think the fundamentals are there and I don't think they're going to change. So the, the one way to think about what session does is, you know, there is this basic management of the data and then there is this, you know, the rendering layer. And, and the, the rendering layer is actually a separate project called Yantra. So Yantra is what provides you know, all the rendering that happens, and it's a standalone thing that can be embedded in your own applications. So what we have right now is, you know, rendering of all the basic stuff you could imagine um, that the, the REPL normally does, plus various graphics constructs and uh, visualization constructs, right? So like making some plots and 
you know, graphics and so forth. And uh, sort of building, building out, you know, the library of charts and the library of graphics and the library of formatting constructs is, you know, that's something that I'm like busy doing, basically, and, mm. and very, very welcoming of contributions. Sort of in terms of the uh, management of data, you know, you know the, the big enchilada there, as I say in the blog post, is being able to really precisely manage the state of the system. And that's something that is very much, you know, remaining to be done. But, you know, right now what you can do is open up session, do the kinds of computations you typically find yourself wanting to do at the REPL or, you know, in terms of using Encanter or, you know, doing some data analysis and having, you know, the sort of basic visualization and graphics capabilities you need built in uh, and having that all persisted, you know, that's all stuff that's already there. So modulo a few bug fixes which i want to push over the weekend i think it should be a basically usable system for the kinds of tasks that we are often wanting to do okay well that sounds awesome i, I mean based on what you showed in the video it, it certainly seems usable to me i do have a couple questions that maybe will reveal some of the uh, details that would be interesting to talk about for example um i, I think about a, a REPL session that i might have you know just like a normal without session. And there's a few things there that are not obvious to me, how they would you would work them in something like session where you would want to be able to go back to any point um, and to to look at what you're doing. The first one that comes to mind is something like a, a lazy infinite sequence. Right. How does that work in the context of session? Right, so that is a good question. So let me just kind of address the broader point that this raises, which is, you know, there's a bunch of things in Clojure and in the JVM kind of more generally that, you know, seem like they would be pretty hard to persist, right? <laughs> like, you know, th there's things that you cannot save over time, you know, like an open database connection or something. Mm -hmm. So the, the philosophy that I'm taking with session is the thing that we can persist is values, right? Like that's, that's sort of the ultimate thing we can persist. And if it's not a value, then the best we can do is to uh, record the sequence of operations that generated that thing. And then at, af after some point, basically, you know, there, there are some things that you just cannot save over time. So the kind of philosophy of session is, you know, to sort of focus on values and with the other stuff, kind of do the best possible effort so long as there's no magic going on. So as long as what the system is doing is transparent and you can reason about it, then I think that's sort of, then it so in terms of the infinite lazy seek kind of situation, uh, what's going to happen is one sort of micro feature that I need to build is just the ability to kind of elide or kind of shorten output. You know, after once you generate something on the JVM, you know, we want to kind of we don't just want to serialize it immediately and sort of send it over. There needs to be kind of a little intermediary step that is like you know, seeing how big it is and just kind of taking the first little piece and sending that. So what I expect to have happen is it just computes like the first little piece and, and basically sends that over and hangs on to a reference to the rest of the infinite seek in case you need to compute with the later or if you ask for more of it. Mm -hmm. But but there's some things that are just, you know, not going to happen, right? So like if you, you know, if you create an atom, you know, it's not going to be Session's job to sort of show you the current value of the atom like at all points in time. I think, or, or, or to serialize that atom and try to rehydrate it, you know, in the future. So we're just going to kind of focus on values and potentially 
kind of deprecate some of Clojure's functionality so that we can do that. Deprecate some of Clojure's or, or replicate? Uh, more like deprecate. So, oh. I mean, maybe a more concrete example of this is, so, you know, there, there are a number of things in Clojure that are basically there to help the REPL, you know, like the way bars work, uh, for instance, or, you know, or there are other things that are basically there to organize code, like namespaces. And those things are really not that relevant in the session context. So, you know, the kinds of tracking that we want to do, where I want to be is, you know, I generated this piece of data and I want the entire sort of audit trail of that piece of data. Uh, and th that's sort of a much higher level of management than what Clojure provides. So, you know, so we don't have to sort of bend over backwards to support some of these features of Clojure, like namespaces, because we're going to have a better system in session for them anyway. Hmm. I would like to, to dive into that in a moment, but I guess that leads me to the question, what would I use session for? I mean, the experiences you talked about were very much about creating real you know, like production software and encountering difficulties. But hearing you say some of those things, I wonder whether you see session as being about writing production systems or about um, learning things, but then we would still use our existing tooling for actually you know, producing a war file or, or whatever the artifact is we're trying to make for production you know, business type systems if, if we're doing that. Right. So just sort of speaking for myself, you know, I basically have a background in math and computer science and then got more into data analysis and kind of the whole data end of things. And yeah, just, just sort of for myself, you know, the kinds of things that I want to do is things like, you know, load up all of Wikipedia across some machines in a cluster and start computing things about the structure of history, right? Like the sequence of events, who's involved, what these networks of people and places are, and just basically do computer experiments. And then having done those computer experiments and discovered something interesting, to be able to take that something interesting and show it to the world. Uh, and sort of in the maximal case, turn it into a web application so that people can extend that themselves. Um, so those, those are the kinds of things that I'm interested in, but it's really uh, much broader than, than just that. Uh, so for instance, you know, in education, you're trying to teach a bunch of people how to do some programming. You know, session is going to record all, what all these people are doing in addition to, of course, giving them visual feedback and giving them something fun to actually do while programming. But from sort of an educator point of view, it's like, well, now I can actually track the history of what all these people did and sort of see where they're failing or what their thought process is. And maybe sort of a, another case that you can imagine is just kind of in my previous position, you know, I was doing analytics for a, uh, a startup kind of internally. And it's like, okay, let me, you know, compute something about what our users are doing. And now how do I share that with, you know, the CEO or, you know, other stakeholders in the organization? And the story for that right now in other technology is pretty weak. You know, there's not a lot of general purpose computing systems that are powerful where you could actually share the results of your computation with other people in the organization. So th those, are, those, are, those are some example use cases. But uh, I, I guess what a lot of them have in common is, you know, session and things like session, it's really about doing concrete computations, right? It's not about like debugging your existing code base or, you know, kind of connecting through the umbilical core to some process that's running to like inspect it in some like little local scenario. 
it's more like I want to compute something and the, you know, sort of the output is kind of the point of the computation. Mm. And the, these days, you know, I mean, there's sort of a whole thread of this in kind of scientific computing where people might be solving an equation and that's kind of the point of them using the system. It's like, I'm going to create some piece of knowledge. Um, but nowadays, kind of the most common version of this is doing stuff with data. And our existing paradigm for interacting with computers is actually incredibly bad for doing stuff with data. You know, things like session, where it's more of a free form, you just do computations, is really a more appropriate paradigm for doing stuff with data. Um, so that's kind of really what I'll be focusing on mostly. That makes total sense to me. And in fact, although I am, you know, my day job is absolutely to produce uh, production systems. And we've talked before about RoomKey and what they do. I totally do exactly what you're talking about. I mean, I mentioned earlier org mode, um, which is, like I said, kind of the, uh, you know, the, the low tech way of doing what you're talking about a little bit. But I absolutely did this the other day where I was like, you know, I need to talk about performance and there's a bunch of computations because we're using DynamoDB. We've got to figure out how many writes we're doing a minute. And I just went through this whole process, expressed it in code and wound up with something that I could share with other people. But, you know, you're obviously taking that a step beyond where they could pick it up and interact with it. And, and, and I think there's absolutely real world. Sorry, real world is the wrong term. What you're doing, what, the stuff you're talking about is also real world. I guess what I meant was there are applications in the context in which I usually operate. <laughs> right, right. Not to confuse what I usually do with being the whole of the real world. Right. But I, I, I can totally see that being applicable. And you know, the, the other thing that I'm reminded of, the other technology that I'm reminded of, I haven't done Mathematica myself, but I feel like there is this uh, very familiar technology out there that is often used to solve those sorts of problems. And it's Excel or, or other spreadsheet yes. implementations. Um, does that that's, an analogy that rings with you or... No, Excel is definitely the single biggest way of interacting with a computer that is like about doing computations instead of just like, you know, clicking on buttons within somebody else's computation. So uh, I, I, I would put it, you know, Excel, I would put it into the paradigm that I'm talking about more so than most things. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the, the, the actual de details are quite a bit different. It is, it, it does have this feature of being somewhat of a closed system. Uh, and I think it also is prone to potential disaster. Uh, having things automatically update, I think, is uh, a good thing in certain cases. But in the general case, you know, if you're doing like a really crunchy computation or, you know, you're doing things that potentially have bugs, you need something that is a little bit more step-by-step, -step, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I just wanted to get back to this point you made about um, sort of benchmarking and performance performance and understanding your own systems, which I think in the kind of for the traditional engineering context that a lot of developers work in, I think that, that is actually a killer use case for session. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, right now it's like unbelievably difficult simply to just get some numbers about your system and put them into a plot, right? It's not like a trivial like one liner, just like open up, open up your environment, and like bench the thing and like generate a plot. It's like, you need to like assemble, you know, you need to choose which library you want, you know, make all these decisions. And one of the things that's quite nice about session is because it's backed by Datomic, if you're doing experiments about your system, all that information is stored over time, right? So you could, for instance, be working on a piece of code, changing the, you know, changing that little 
bit of code and trying to optimize it, you know, running the benchmark, changing the bit of code, running the benchmark, et cetera, et cetera. And having done that, you can just query Datomic for the history of all the source codes of your functions and the corresponding benches that they, you know, resulted in. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, tie all that data together, right? You now it's sort of like, uh, you know, some of the benefits of something like Simulant or something, but without having to do any upfront work to get those benefits, right? You just use the system, the data is there, that you, and then you can just query the data later. And I think for things like understanding our systems that we build, either in terms of testing for correctness or testing for performance or just understanding them, something like Session is is a very powerful tool. Yeah, that's totally killer. And that's actually a problem that I've run into any number of times, which is, you know, even when I'm using that sort of, as I like to joke, semi-literate form of programming where I'm writing down what I'm going to do and then kind of executing it in a document, it still can be a real challenge to keep track of which code you tested because it's not often practical in that format, at least the way I've done it. Maybe other people have done it better to have all the code. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a real problem. Uh, in a, you know, we have, I kind of talked about this in my closure conch talk, but you know, over the last decade or so, you know, we've developed these more sophisticated ideas about how to manage state. You know, there, you know, we've invented Git. You know, Rich has done the kind of closure state identity model and then, you know, took it further with Datomic. But in terms of humans using the computer and how we interact with it, we have basically nothing. You know, we're just kind of copying and pasting stuff and juggling everything in our minds. And we see the consequences of that anytime we get into a more complex situation where, you know, beyond a couple things, it's just impossible to remember or keep track of which version corresponds with what. Uh, and I think that's just like, you can't really take live coding further without addressing that problem. Yeah, I don't know why, but that whole, th- uh, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it, it, it really strikes me, the idea of, let's see how to put this. So I'm reminded, I haven't watched the presentation yet, but I've heard other people give talks about generative testing or property-based testing. And I, I, I believe, were you at, were you at Closure West, Kovas? Uh, I was not. I was uh, busy getting session out. <laughs> right. You had other things to do. Um, I wasn't there either, but I know that John Hughes gave a talk about, about property-based testing. And, and I think one of the arguments for it is <laughs> in unit testing, we come up with examples, Right. And there's kind of a limit on, you know, the examples you can think of and you've got to write them all down and you've got to keep track of it. It's very manual, this, uh, this process of generating example inputs and example outputs, which is basically yeah. what unit testing is. And so the, the whole idea behind property-based testing is, well, let's let the computer generate examples, right? And I, and I right. think what you're saying is, uh, not to put words in your mouth, but let's make a similar jump. Let's stop having a little notebook or an Excel spreadsheet or however you record what change you made and what the effect was and instead have an environment where the computer does that for us. Absolutely. I mean, at this stage in our, you know, collective knowledge about computers, you know, it's it's sort of almost a no brainer, right? Like clearly these are having managed state and not just mutating stuff willy nilly is a better way to be. And I think especially so in kind of, what the human is doing, right? Like what the human is doing is like the highest, it's at the highest point in the value chain. The fact that the computer can manage its state properly is nice. But when we lose our an hour or half hour, however much time it is of work because we accidentally like deleted something, 
you know, this is really bad. So yeah, it's, it's very much, uh, I think a no brainer to just kind of apply some of these principles to something we've been doing for quite a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe the heuristic is if it's tedious and boring, why are you doing it? Yeah, yeah. Right. And writing down what version of the code I was using and what, you know, what the benchmark was as a result, which is just one example of right. that's tedious and boring and error prone. Yeah. Or just, you know, I mean, you're talking about testing and it's like, you know, simulant, I think definitely is going in the right direction here, but that's sort of a bit of a commitment just, but just in terms of, you know, why are we not just like storing all the outputs of our tests in the atomic, right? Like every time a test is run, why are we not just storing whether or not it passed or failed? Like, and just being able to make a simple visualization over time of like every change in code and like which sets of tests passed or failed is like, it's one of those things that's a simple question, but it's very difficult to answer with our current tooling. Um, and I think there are a lot of these things that are basically conceptually very simple questions, things you could easily imagine, like that being like just, you know, a basic fact of the universe that would be like good to know. Um, and with our current tooling is just very hard to get there. Yeah, it's fascinating. I had to, uh, this is another, I know I go back and listen to the shows and I think this is definitely one of the ones where I'll go back and listen to it later and more things will occur to me because I, I feel like you've said something pretty like there's a real kernel of of truth there that needs needs more thought and examination. So while I let that percolate in the back of my brain, I, I do want to talk to you a bit about um, some of the technology pieces, you know, get back yeah. down into the weeds where I live. And uh, I'm curious uh, to hear a bit more about um, your use of and your experience with uh, Datomic, both um, how it affected uh, your implementation of the system, but also just kind of generally anything about it that you want to share with people, whether that's right. positive or negative? So, you know, I think Datomic is just amazing. And when it came out, I was just like, this is awesome. And then when the license changed so that I could actually use it for session, I was very happy. Because I had become, like I mentioned earlier, you know, for the very first kind of beta, or uh, I guess I shouldn't use the word beta, but the very first prototype I built of session, I was kind of emulating the notebook concept of you have a document you know, you're basically storing all your data in the document. And, you know, anyone who's watched any of, like, Rich's talks about Datomic will immediately recognize how this is, like, not a good idea, right? <laughs> so, um, so you know, and, and I, I was already kind of familiar with the shortcomings of, like, using a document as a database, especially for this kind of work. You know, like in Mathematica, I would start building these huge notebooks, right? I'd be doing experiments like all day long. And, you know, next thing you know, your notebook is like 100, 200, 300 megabytes. And, it, you know, every time you like make a change and you have to save that, it's like, you know, you're writing potentially hundreds of megabytes just to like store every change. And then, you know, if you have a huge document and some little bit of it gets corrupted, that's kind of a problem, right? <laughs> To read any piece of data, you need to read through the whole document. And the whole architecture is just, you know, it, it, there's just some serious shortcomings. So I knew that, but I'm like, well, what's the alternative? I'm not going to be, like, writing tons of little files for everything and then managing all those little files. And the existing databases out there didn't seem particularly much better. So, so Datomic is great. And it's been a pleasure to use for session. And one of the things I especially like about it is... You know, it's not only just the implementation of session. It's actually 
available within session itself, kind of as I was alluding to earlier, where suppose I'm scraping some website and trying to extract its data. Well, when I'm in session and writing that code, the result of my HTTP request, now I can just insert that into Datomic directly, right? So it's not like my, you know, my code doesn't have to output a big expression like you know, a huge map or a huge you know, vector or something. It could just be inserting all that stuff into Datomic and then all those facts are just going to be available elsewhere in my code as I you know, continue, continue working. Uh, which for working with data and just kind of the idea of building up knowledge as you're computing is a very powerful thing. So, uh, so that's sort of my experience you know, using Datomic um, in session. Uh, I used Atomic a bit uh, at my previous position, basically storing lots of analytics and user data kind of stuff. And I would say it was, it, if Datomic had a much better bulk data import story, which I understand as of the last release a few days ago, it does. Yes, we're quite excited about that, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I think, you know, that's, that's sort of a game changer since um, that was kind of a limiting factor in kind of really getting use out of Datomic and in a situation where you already have like a substantial amount of data. Uh, so, I, so I was pretty excited to see that announcement, and um, I'll have to play with that feature. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I haven't actually um, played with it myself. But anyway, so that's something that people should, should check out and get experience with themselves. But I want to drill in a little bit more on the atomic stuff. I'm curious, when you store, I mean, you mentioned, if you go out and pull down a bunch of web pages, you can put them straight into Datomic. Um, or I assume you could simply be interactively exploring and if you happen to pull down a web page and it was a result of some expression that you'd written that that would also be stored and then you can you know query over the, the expressions you've done and that's that's super cool is that information stored i mean i assume you don't just have you know giant string blobs that there's some structure so could i do things like say i know i returned a vector of maps and that the map had a key called foo in it is that the type of thing where i could go and write a query that would find me the expression that produced a map with those characteristics? Right. So, I mean, bo both of those statements are simultaneously true. So, um, right now, they are, in fact, stored as, like, big string blobs. But, like I kind of mentioned in the blog post, this is sort of one of the things very much in queue to uh, have a better solution for. But even given that fact, reading that string blob into an actual closure data structure is, that's like a function call, right? Mm -hmm. So... Yes, you know, you can go just write that query, just pass the database, and yeah, you can, you can, you can do that. <laughs> and of course, it's immutable, right? And so if it was in the database as a string, and you, uh, Kovas, could do something like say, well, we've got access to S3 or the local disk, so let's evaluate it, maybe serialize it as something like Freshen, and then if you need to go back and get it, and there's a pointer in the database to this alternate serialization that's maybe faster, Right. And you can do that. And that's, I mean, that's the thing, right? We talked about immutability on this show a hundred times, but yeah. it, that's enabled by that, right? Is yeah. the ability yeah. to trivially do that. Yeah, yeah. That, that is like exactly where I want to go. And sort of one of the big, big things on my list of like, I want the design to be able to do this. You know, even if I don't implement it on day one, like this is a requirement is we cannot be storing like huge blobs of data, you know, sort of all in one place, so to speak. You know, we need to be able to have, you know, a couple of terabytes on S3 or something or whatever. And then just use Datomic to manage 
knowledge about where that stuff is and what it is and all this metadata and just kind of transparently deal with it. You know, that this is, this is very much where I want to go. Cool. <laughs> so if you, if, if you or anyone at Cognitech have any cool ideas about how to make that happen, you know, I would love to, uh, love to chat. Well, so. Kovas, I try not to speak for the company. I mean, I know I'm the you know host of this podcast, but I do try to not speak for the company, but I feel pretty safe in saying that, um, you're one of those people that if you come by and say, hey, I'd love to chat about some ideas of having that, you, there would be quite a few people who would be interested in doing that because you're a, you're a super interesting guy. And I know that um, I've talked to other uh, people at the company about they have a lot of respect for you. So you should, you should certainly swing on by, whether in person or virtually sometime, and we would love to, to kick ideas around with you. Awesome. No, I would, uh, I would absolutely love to. So let's make that happen. Cool. Um, I had one other kind of, uh, at least one other, <laughs> Lola, I'm sure I could keep thinking of them, but I had one other a question kind of on the tip of my mind around uh, the experience of working with Session, which as I said, I have not actually fired up yet, although clearly I need to move it uh, way up on my list. What's the kind of the tooling story? I mean, I, I heard you say there's a REPL in the browser and I hit shift enter. I am an Emacs addict. Yeah. Is, is it on the roadmap for me to be able to use kind of my existing tooling so that I can, you know, use all the right. kind of keystrokes I'm used to? Is that right. something you're thinking about? Uh, so this is one of those things where I would love it if the community could contribute those things. Because first of all, like, I have no idea what, like, the Emacs, the Emacs, like, scenario is, you know? Sure. So for me, for me to sort of try to add that feature, it's like, okay, I, off the bat, it's like a research project of, like, learning some tool which is not the tool that I want to be building in the first place. And, you know, I, I myself need to focus more on like, well, how do we make, how do we like leverage immutability so that the location of values doesn't matter, right? I need, those are the problems I need to work on. But I really hope that with kind of releasing session and talking about it, some people will get interested and sort of fill in some of these, try to see how we can integrate it with other things that already exist and just fill in all those like little matrix of possibilities of how people might want to use it. But I personally, I'm going to be focusing more on, you know, the fundamental design, kind of the core usability of, you know, sort of the default blessed experience and just adding more kinds of graphics and visualization and other constructs to Yantra. So that actually, I think, makes a good point to ask you the question, if people do want to help out, how can they do that? Is there a best way or are there good ways to to reach out to you and do that? Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think the easiest thing that requires, you know, the least amount of onboarding is, you know, just build OM components. You know, Session uses OM on the front end. If someone goes and builds an awesome editor widget that supports your favorite Emacs key bindings or whatever, then it's quite easy for me to pull that into Session. Like, this is a very simple operation for me to just, you know, take some OM widget and, like, put it into Session as, like, a new construct. It, for the more adventurous, I... I you know, I, I kind of uh, always wonder if I should just make like a huge list of all the things that needs to be done. And maybe, you know, maybe I should think about doing that. But I, I, I guess, you know, I'm interested in hearing what people think or, you know, think they need or actually need and sort of what, what are people's actual requirements for what they need to be done. I get this question a lot. You know, people, you know, Closure has been exploding. I mean, if you look at the attendance at Closure West, if you look at the attendance at the Conj, if you look at things like just how many people came to Closure West this year that had never been to a Closure conference before, it's a very high number. So it, the Closure is definitely on the upswing, but at the same time, we know 
that there are a lot more people out there who are not doing it on a daily basis. And I know that when I talk to them sometimes, I get a sense that, you know, they consider themselves beginners and they would love to program enclosure, but they hear someone like Kovas talk and they're like, oh, that guy really knows his stuff. There's no way I could, I could help out. Are you, <laughs> I mean, this is a totally a leading question. Yeah. I'm going to ask it anyway. And I, cause, because I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but you know, Hey Kovas, is, is this the sort of thing where a, a closure beginner could still pitch in and help? Oh uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, l- let me just uh, set the stage for you here is I'm actually really bad at programming. I'm like really bad at like all of this stuff. And the only reason why I was able to make session is because we have like amazing tools in the closure community, like just incredible, incredibly powerful stuff where, you know, even I, Kovas B can, you know, put together something interesting. So I certainly wouldn't consider myself like, you know, some kind of programming God, especially when it comes to kind of low level system stuff, like the kind of incidental complexity that we're trying to, you know, abstract away here. You know, I think if you're like an absolute beginner, then, you know, just try using session. And when something breaks or if you see something that, you know, doesn't seem right and it happens to be something that, you know, you maybe understand, then, you know, just kind of go ahead, you know, just go for it. There's not very much code. So I think the chance, you know, the chances are good that you can understand it. And uh, I'll just give a shout out to uh, Stuart Sierra's component, which, uh, I'm using on the uh, closure, the JVM closure side of things, which is a pretty excellent way to structure code and keeps things, keeps all the modules like fairly clean and independent. Um, so yeah, you know, I think, you know, my code isn't the greatest, but the high level structure is, I think, comprehensible and people who are interested in contributing, you know, should be able to figure out what's going on. I would definitely echo that um, people should, uh, you know, reach, uh, reach out to you because I'll say this. I'm, I mean, you know, you hear on the podcast, people might think, oh, you know, he's got on his best behavior. But it turns out you actually are just as nice in person as you are when you're being interviewed. So <laughs> people should uh, I would I would I would think that session would be an excellent place for people that want to put a toe into the into the closure waters to start just because, um, you know, you're a really nice guy. And I know that um, if people have questions that you're going to you're going to answer them and um, in a in a very nice way. I, mean, I think we have a lot of people in the closure community like that, but you're certainly one of them. So highly encourage people to check it out and pitch in if they feel so inclined. Well, thanks so much for the endorsement, Craig. Well, you're very you're a nice guy, man. And no and and I think the the ideas behind session are super important. And you know, like I said myself, I've I've run into the need for exactly this, um, and not just once. I mean, I can think of three different times in the last year where what I've been doing would have been done better with session or something like session. So. I think it's a really cool idea um, that has a lot of utility, and I'm glad to see you are you are uh, carrying it forward. Awesome. Well, it's, I'm just glad that I'm finally in a good place here. Yeah, <laughs> after, and uh, after years of uh, trying to break through. So yeah, actually, I was curious to ask, like, I mean, how does this fit into your um, your I'm using air quotes here your day job? Is this are you working on this full time, or is it furthering something you're doing? Right, right. So this this is my day job right now. Actually, I am uh, currently, you know, at kitchen table coders, you know, every day, and uh, working on session uh, for the foreseeable future, basically. Super cool. Uh, so you know, expect uh, more releases on a regular basis. That is fantastic. 
Well, I see that we are coming up on the time um, that I have uh, jokingly referred to before as driveway time, uh, where you know people have finished their commute and they're sitting in their driveway and their husband or wife is looking out the window going, what on earth is she doing out there listening to the, the radio or something? So uh, I think uh, we could certainly go on, um, but it sounds like you're uh, be doing a lot of work. So um, I will say what I often say, because it is often true. Uh, that we would love to have you back on the show at some point uh, to hear more about what you have done with uh, with session or with whatever else you wind up working on um, in the future. Uh, before we wind down to the final question, though, I do want to make sure that I give you uh, the last few minutes to um, talk about anything that we failed to talk about, whether that's more details about session or if you're making any appearances or just anything you want people to know about. So one thing that we haven't talked about that much that deserves to be mentioned is OM. Uh, so, you know, I sort of mentioned it in passing a little bit, but just wanted to kind of call it out a little bit more. Um, so OM is a library by David Nolan, and it's based on Facebook's React. And what it does is it basically lets you use functional programming to create powerful user interfaces on the web in a way that seems relatively novel to me and extremely powerful. So Session uses Ohm via a li another library I wrote called Yantra. And kind of the sum total of all this stuff basically means that Session is simpler than some other systems like it that have come before. So the rendering layer in Session, you can use that in your own application without using anything else from Session. You know, so for instance, if you want to render stuff that you created in Session, but now you need to put into your you know, CMS or blog platform or production app or whatever it is, um, you can do that. Or you know, the flip side of this is the Ohm ecosystem is compatible with Session in a very deep way. So as that ecosystem grows, you know, Session will grow as well. And I think this is a very important part of achieving this objective that you know, what, the thing that we're interacting with in sort of a live coding scenario is compatible with production environments. Uh, and you know, content created here can be used there and uh, vice versa. And I think that you know, that's like a pretty powerful and important feature of the session. Yeah, and uh, we've actually got an episode recorded with um, David talking about Ohm that will probably go out before this one. So if people um, are listening to their various episodes of the show, maybe they have heard a little bit more about it by the time they hear you speak about uh, session. So that's, that's cool too. All right. Well, great. It's so cool. So great to talk to you. I, this is such an interesting idea. It has remained interesting to me from the moment I heard first heard you speak about it in 2012. And I'm really excited that you're taking it forward. I, I really genuinely do want to sit down and try it out um, and, and we'll somehow make that happen in the near future. But I'm obviously, even if I don't do it uh, in the very near future, you're continuing to evolve, which is, is, which is, which is also extremely exciting. So we do have another question to ask you. Always the last question on this show, which is... What song are we playing to close down? So let's do Electricity by OMD. Okay, cool. I don't know that one. Uh, how would you describe that song and or your relationship to it? Uh, it makes me happy. All right, that's awesome. I've, I've often said it was a big realization for me personally that, um, that art, all art including music, and this is my opinion, is about, is about emotion, about making people feel things. So, you know, like <laughs> I have two kids and they often play music that I could easily dismiss, but I'm like, you know... It gives them something, and I think that's super cool if there's a song that makes you happy. Um, yeah. Well, thanks again a ton for coming on the show, Kovas. I mean, uh, 
it's been great to have you and I really do want to have you back because I know you're taking this exciting places and I genuinely do think it is an interesting and important project. So uh, thanks for coming on the show and thanks for doing the work. Uh, thanks so much for having me. This was very useful. I haven't, you know, I haven't started talking about all these things publicly uh, very much yet. So this is a very good uh, experience to start doing so. Well, I'm glad we could help you a little bit. You certainly helped us out. Um, so we'll go ahead and close it down there. And then, like I said, let people out of their cars and off their driveways. And uh, we will just close by saying thanks to everyone for listening. You have been listening to the Cognicast. Cognicast is a production of Cognitech Inc., whom you can find on the web at Cognitech.com and on Twitter at Cognitech. Our guest today was Kovas Bogota on Twitter at Kovas B, K-O-V-A-S-B. The Cognicast is produced with help from Alex Miller, Alex Ward, Damian Mack, David Chilinski, Jamie Kite, Justin Gatlin, Lake Denman, Luke Vanderhart, Lynn Grogan, Mark Phillips, Michael Fogus, Ryan Neufeld, Sam Umbach, Sandy Ezel, and Stuart Sierra. Episode cover art is by Michael Parento. Audio production by Russ Olson. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Thanks for listening.